0: Hey guys, I know you're going to be excited about this podcast episode. This is Philip Yancey. If you're unfamiliar with him, you're about to be excited. You're in for a treat. He is an award winning author, renowned theologian, and influential speaker who has touched the hearts of millions with his 13 gold medallion award winning books and won two Book of the Year awards for What's So Amazing About Grace and the Jesus I Ever Know. I never knew. And I'm so excited to chat with him today about his re release revised edition of what's so amazing about grace welcome to the podcast good sir
1: thank you very much
0: yes i'm so excited thank you for first of all writing this book way back when and going back and brushing it up doing what you're doing to it and re-releasing it for a new generation who may not have known and needs these precious words in their hands in their minds (laughs) Can you believe it?
1: 25 years on, we're still in need of grace in this world.
0: Right, right.
1: Maybe more than now than ever.
0: I I agree. And I love what you, just the word grace and how you unpack that. But before I get ahead of myself, I wanted to just share real quick. I became a Christian in 20, 2002. Hmm. And one of the first books rec- recommended to me, More Than Just a Carpenter, which I'm sure you probably heard of. Yes. And what is so amazing about grace and those are just my first, I grew up in a, we would say Christian and put parentheses around it because we grew up in the South, but right. there was no meat to my faith. And reading those two books just really set me up to for, I believe, a really good um, to success in my faith and to be able to, to seek the Lord in, in the right way and not have this false junk that we have. So anyway, I just want to tell you that as a baby Christian when I was back in the day, thank you so much for that.
1: Oh, uh, that's great. And now you're spreading the word all over the place, thank you
0: i'm trying I'm trying, but I want to go ahead and pack unpack your book and all of that good stuff and so first, just tell me why why now why twenty five years why are we bring we need it but I'm just thankful that that and want to know why you decide to revisit it now
1: hmm. mainly because the world has gotten more divided and hostile in the last twenty five years. I went back and kind of put myself back in those days, and the biggest news on newspaper headlines, was about Bill Clinton and a White House intern. I mean, that was that was the biggest thing. Uh, the Cold War had fallen apart. Communism had collapsed. Countries were becoming free for the first time all over Eastern Europe. Places like South Africa, there was a peaceful changeover of government. And it, it looked like the world was kind of getting its act together. So much so that one historian, Francis Fukuyama, said, uh, it's the end of history. We've decided liberal democracies have won, and now everybody wants one. Well, flash forward 25 years, we got a war going on in Ukraine. There's more hostility and more oppression, really, in China. And liberal democracies are kind of on the wane. And even in our own country, the divisions between Republicans and Democrats are are very wide. I I wouldn't say wider now than ever, because we did have a civil war, as you know, but uh, pretty divided. And in those kind of circumstances, we really need grace on both sides.
0: Amen and amen. <laughs> um, at the very beginning of the book, you talk about just the word grace being the mm. last great word. I think it was you, what you said. And, and I love that. And how um, was it charity has even been, you know, yeah, yeah misconfused. And, and people say, well, I don't want your charity. But but this beautiful word grace being, mm. being the last great word. I'd love for you to unpack that for a minute.
1: Yeah. You're right. A lot of these words that used to mean one thing later, kind of the word is uh, pejorate. They get worse over time. Mm-hmm. And grace is an exception. It's actually used all the time. You know, you, you get a good service at a restaurant, so you leave a gratuity. Uh, uh, you're playing the piano or guitar or something, and there are these grace notes. And you can play the tune without them. But it just adds a little bit more if, to, if you insert some of those grace notes. My favorite uh, experience with that is when I was stuck in traffic one time in Los Angeles. You hear about Los Angeles traffic. And I had a Hertz yeah. rental car. And I knew it was going to be late. And I showed up. And I was about an hour late prepared for them to charge me for a whole other day. So I was kind of irritated and put my keys down. And she said, well, that's it. I said, well, uh, don't I owe you more? I'm a little late. She said, oh, well, uh, Mr. Janssen, we have a grace note. A grace period here for one hour, you're not, you're not charged. I said, well, oh, that's interesting. What What is grace? And I don't think they covered that in the Hertz training manual. because there. <laughs> uh, Well, I don't know. But I guess it means that even though you're supposed to pay for something, you don't have to. That's a pretty good start, actually. Yeah. Logically, that's a pretty decent start in understanding this concept of grace that Jesus talked around and about. Mm. Uh, through his stories, through his teaching in so many ways.
0: Yes, yes. And it is. And it's amazing. And I'm thankful that you're just diving into it. <laughs> um, I'm curious, in what ways do you think that like the revised edition will resonate with readers today? As you know, most of our readers are, are in their 20s. And I, I would say specifically, i travel to different colleges, so I get to talk to a lot of young people. And mm. I think what I see from Gen Z is, is this hunger and, you know, I don't want to do it the way it's always been done, which is beautiful in a lot of ways. Right. But also there, there's this, <laughs> the grace that was modeled by Jesus 2,000 years ago is still beautiful today. So anyway, I guess maybe just talking specifically as it relates to the revised edition and what readers might pick up. Um, yeah, just mm. some some different things that they might pick up through that.
1: Well, I, I really did want to make the content of the book accessible to a whole new generation. So we actually uh, got some millennials and and other generations to read it, and just tell me things that they didn't relate to or things they didn't understand. Even something like I refer to the breakup of Yugoslavia, and people said, "Well, what's Yugoslavia? I've never heard of that." You know. Wow. So it's easy to talk about Russia and Ukraine or or some other examples, but the the core of grace remains the same. And I think you're right. We we need to learn from younger generations uh the older generations tend to have very clear ideas about what's right, what's wrong, and then kind of a judgmental attitude toward those people who are on a different side of issues, mm-hmm. especially like uh you know gender issues, gay issues, those kind of things. The younger generation comes along and they they're not quite sure what their position is, but they are quite sure what their attitude should be toward those people, and that was what struck me so much about Jesus. That the people who are most attracted to him were the people who are least like him. Yes. And Jesus did not have this little ranking deal, you know, spiritual, less spiritual, outcast. In fact, he turned everything upside down. So it was the it was the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners who were attracted to him. And it was the uptight righteous people, the Pharisees, who indeed were righteous people. They made sure they kept all the laws. But in, in Jesus' story, he said, you know, you're, you're so spiritual You tithe your kitchen spices, salt, pepper, you know, give 10% to God. But you've missed the whole message. It's a message of grace that goes to the sinner, yeah. anyone who holds out their hand. His parables show that, his stories. And uh, that's something that we can learn from the younger generation. Because, uh, as I say, some of these issues, they haven't decided the rightness or wrongness but they have decided the rightness of how to treat people that you aren't sure about or that you see differently. And that's where grace is put to the test.
0: You're absolutely right. And I love how in the book, you kind of weave in stories of, you know, mm-hmm. the very beginning, how you mentioned the, the prostitute coming to you for help. And you're like, well, have you tried church? And she's like, why would I go there? And how, as you said, Jesus, and he would be like, come to me. And mm-hmm. the church is somehow, largely speaking, and I think that a lot of churches are getting this right. but. There's a disconnect, as you said. But, anyways, I was hoping that maybe you could just share a story that stands out to you as the picture of grace as you open so many. Maybe the one stands out that just pictures that beautiful eth- essence of grace as we're trying to encapsulate here.
1: Yeah. Probably the one story I tell in the book that has received the most um, kind of emotional response is a story that it's not my story, it's Jesus' story. It's the story of the prodigal son. But I update it in, in modern lingo. I do that with several of Jesus' parables. I, I've just got to say, I've tried to write parables. It's a really hard thing to do. <laughs> and to imagine Jesus just spinning off one after another. You know, somebody asks her a question. Oh, well, that reminds me. I mean, so in the story of the parables, Prodigal Son, we we all know that story. I don't need to retell it. But in this case, it's a, a young girl in Traverse City, Michigan, who wants to explore the world. And she ends up. Uh, being addicted to drugs and kind of run, in, run by a pimp in downtown Detroit. And and she thinks, she's seen her picture on a milk bottle where her parents have turned her in, you know, and have you seen this child? And she figures there's just no way they're going to accept me back. And she takes that long bus ride. She leaves a message on their answering machine, but she never gets to talk to them. And she finally stops at the bus station. And there they are. The, I won't spoil the story for you, but that one just, touches people's heart because we all want that. We want that acceptance. Every one of us does some really bad things. You know, we just mess up sometimes. And and we need grace. We need forgiveness. We need not to be judged by that. And I, I'm i so um, impressed with, with Jesus, how he reaches out to people. I mean, you think of the people in the New Testament. Think of Peter. Peter was always sticking his foot in his mouth and, and judging other people, you know, and looking down on Judas. And then one day when, when he was against the wall, Peter was just like Judas, really. He denied Jesus three times. I never knew the blank and blank. And, and Jesus so gently kind of brought him back in Peter D loved me, Peter D loved me. That's, that's Mm -hmm. what counts. Mm -hmm. And the, I mean, (laughs) look at Paul, Paul was a, Torturer of Christians—that's what he did. He was a human rights abuser, and and God deliberately chose those people so mm. that none of us can say, "Oh, I'm I'm useless now." God would never want somebody me, like me. Look at the people that God redeemed in the Bible. Look at the people that Jesus chose. It should give us hope that there's never a there's never a slam door to grace. God's grace is always there.
0: I just got chills, and I think that that. Can't be overshared because, again, when I was this <laughs> Christian and label-only teenager, young adult, I, I would have told you, "Oh, the Bible." Obviously, I had never read it, but I would have told you the Bible was a bunch of perfect people, and here's how to do like them. <laughs> I, that was my interpretation. Yeah,
1: yeah, and even now, if you if you ask people, uh, "What is a Christian?" or "What is an evangelical Christian?" Well, these days they kind of will talk politics, which has nothing to do with what is a Christian. But um, if you ask them, no, really, uh, wh- what do you think are Christians? So they'll use words like, well, uh, they're good people, you know, or they're sometimes it's like they're judgmental or they're hypocrites or holier than thou. You know, it's always on that how well are they behaving scale. <laughs> that's what people come up with. And and that's why grace is so hard for people to understand, because We are one of those ranking societies. You know, you rank your social class, your race, how much money you make, what school you went to, all that kind of stuff. And grace, again, turns all that upside down so that when Jesus comes across a a Pharisee, a religious teacher, and an outright sinner over here, and they're both praying. This guy prays, oh, sure, I'm glad I'm not like that guy over there. This guy prays, I'm a mess. Help me. Which prayer does God listen to? And that that. Paradox is true in in so many of Jesus' stories, like the prodigal son. Yeah. You got one obedient, do as he's told, honor the family reputation son, but he's not the hero of that story. Right. It's the prodigal. It's the one who trashes the family's re- reputation and squanders their money.
0: Which is what's so amazing about grace. <laughs>
1: yeah, there you go.
0: You have heard me talk about Liquid IV on this podcast before, but if you haven't yet taken advantage of the Truth For Your 20s discount code, what are you doing? Here is your opportunity to stock up and to save 20%. Most people I talk to in real life because I literally talk about how much this has been so good for me. Most people are like, Oh yeah, I love liquid ivy. But if you are for some reason haven't heard of it, it is double the hydration. So one packet in a bottle of water is the equivalent of drinking two bottles of water on your body because it is so hydrating. So important for sweating, so important if you get headaches, and it just tastes good too. There are a lot of flavors. Pineapple is my favorite, but whatever your favorite is, make sure you check out the show notes. There's a link waiting for for you, and you can use promo code TRUTH and get yourself 20% off your next order of Liquid IV. Um, As I said, I was so excited about getting this time with you, and I mentioned it to a a friend I, I have who's on church staff, and so anyway, she's like, "Oh, if I could, you know, interview Philip. This is uh, Mr. Yancy. This is a few questions I would ask him, and so I have some surprise okay. questions for you. <laughs> I think you'll do great. Don't worry. Um, this was, I thought, a really good question. It says sometimes we show grace much easier to others than we do ourselves, and as we mm-hmm. know, like this beating up ourselves kind of thing. And I, and I'm I bet. Well, I guess I'm curious if giving grace to yourself maybe reflects how you treat others. But anyway, I'm just curious your thoughts on that. If you've done any you know, research or, or found any anecdotal evidence of treating ourselves with grace versus treating others?
1: Well, it is very significant that when, when Jesus talks, he says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, that, that's pretty clear right there. And, and most of us, we, we do have a hard time receiving. We have a hard time receiving a, a, a gift free yeah. of charge. I, One time I was called, Katie, one of the most unusual speaking opportunities I've had. I was called to speak to 100 prostitutes. (laughs) They were actually people who were caught up in sexual trafficking, had been ministered to by missions around the world, and they were brought together in Wisconsin for a week-long conference. And they asked me to come and speak about grace. And they say they have have such a hard time receiving grace because they've been... Uh, dumped on all their lives you know you're you're worthless as as one one of them said uh, nobody ever says honey to their daughter honey when you grow up I want you to be the best prostitute in this town you you know this doesn't happen yeah and um and I told them some stories about grace I just said you know Jesus talked about you guys he talked about prostitutes let me tell you some of the things he said and they were just astonished and they did have a hard time receiving grace but it one of them finally summarized it. She said um, she's, she was from Bulgaria, and she spoke with a strict accent. And she said, sometime you are at the low, and when you at the low, you cry help. <laughs> and I thought that's that's a pretty good place. I like to quote Henry Nouwen, the author and, and um, psych, psychologist, who said uh, grace is absolutely free? There's nothing you can do to earn it to get God to like you more, but to receive a gift, you got to have your hands out. Hmm. And if and when you're at the low, as this prostitute said, sometimes you'll cry for help. You'll have your hands out. It's really the the uptight people who think they have it all together, who are looking down on other people who have their hands clenched tight in a fist. And when you do that, you don't receive the gift. It just falls to the ground. And and so I've learned a lot. I, I imagine some of your listeners are involved in the recovery movement. And I've learned a lot from friends who do that. And you can't get anywhere unless you get past that first step, which is acknowledging I can't do it on my own. <laughs> I need help. And th- that's so hard for us. Yeah, We don't like to admit that. We're Americans. We pull ourselves by our bootstraps. We're independent, you know but uh when you do that you put up a wall and and you close your fist against grace
0: oh yes i'm just like so many things i want to say that thank you that was so good i wrote down i can't do it on my own i remember that was my very first prayer in my mm-hmm. college apartment like you know i, I can't, i've tried to do it all the the what the world says and i've chased all the boys and Bacardi and attempts to be beautiful and all the things the world says is it, and it's not. And and I was like, I can't do this on my own. And I think that there's so much beauty in that simple surrender of, of like, I just can't. And then that's when grace comes in. As you said, that open fist, like that's such a beautiful picture. <laughs> and how can we receive it if we're like, nope, I got it all figured out.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. <sighs> And, and we tend to repeat that pattern over again. In Jesus' day, it was the Pharisees and the tax collectors. Now, you know, tax collectors don't have that bad reputation so much as in his day, where they were working for the oppressive Roman Empire and, and fleecing the Jews. But, uh, but we have our own, our own versions. Yeah. Go back to that story the book opens with. The woman, when you suggested going to church, church, I'm already feeling terrible about myself. They're just going to make me feel worse. And when I talk to people about church, they say, Oh well, I, I'm not good enough for that. You know, I I don't know how to dress. They wouldn't accept somebody like me. And that's actually true of some churches, and it's to our shame. Right. We confuse grace with respectability. Yeah. You know? And uh, grace is not about respectability, quite the contrary.
0: Yeah. I've heard it said, don't judge ba- don't judge Jesus based on our Christians.
1: <laughs> mm, very good.
0: Yeah. And You know, it's a shame because I I know a lot of amazing, beautiful Christians and not to say, you know, certainly I hope that I'm not, you know, an example of Jesus in a poor way. And I hope that a lot of people are, are doing, we're all going to fall short, of course. Mm. But yeah, I guess I just don't want anyone to, as your chap, as we mentioned in the book, the chapter opener, the the prostitute, not to go to church because of Christians, because Jesus, he is the giver of grace in, in low copious amounts. Um, okay. The other question that was given to me by my friend, it says grace versus truth. It's not an easy proposition and maybe just any insight or balance that you can give. And I, I know it's, it feels like a loaded question, but th- this is tricky, especially when it comes to to people that you love that might be prodigal son or living a lifestyle that, that you just know is not serving them or whatever it might be. Yeah. This grace versus truth, like where, where do you land and Case by case, I don't know, maybe give me the insight you might have for that. Yeah. Overall,
1: I I have a comment to make about the church as a whole, and I'll get a little <laughs> more personal, but um, that dichotomy, as it were, comes from John, who says about Jesus that he came full of grace and truth. Mm-hmm. And I, I look at uh, followers of Jesus, the church that, that grew out of that, and it seems to me we've worked really hard on that truth angle you know by the 3rd century there were already these giant church councils that would get together and then there'd be a split between this branch of the orthodox and that branch and then the catholics and then the protestants and and now last i heard there are 45,000 denominations. What? A lot of yeah, 45 around the world. And a lot of them have their own creed, you know, they've worked on their statement of faith and and, and there's nothing wrong with that with caring about truth. That's important. So we all we all do that. But I I just wish some churches would spend equal amounts of energy dispensing grace, you know, (laughs) to come across. I'm going to compete to be the most grace-filled church in Chattanooga or Nashville or Denver where I live. What a great goal. That would would be a great goal. In fact, there's a church here in Denver. The name of it is Scum of the Earth. Scum (laughs) of the Earth. They get that, you know, kind of that turned upside down thing. So that anybody's right Welcome here. You don't have to dress up. You don't have to get your I wife. Love that. When you are in a position of authority, for example, you're hiring somebody on your church staff or you're the parent of a child. Obviously, you have to, you have to balance that grace and truth. You have to speak truth, but then respond with grace even when the person breaks it. But for most of us, um, I think the message from Jesus is, concentrate on the log in your own eye before you start looking at the splinter in somebody else's eye. Uh, you know, forgive others and deal with your own problems. You yeah. Know? And I I think that's what we need to do because when I when I ask people and they uh, what is a Christian and they say things like holier than thou or hypocritical, they just see Christians as maybe morally superior. Maybe they would even admit that, but not fun to be around cuz they're looking down on you. And, uh, again, here's Jesus, a perfect person who did no wrong, and yet when people were around him, even people who had really screwed up their lives, their reaction was, I want what he's got.
0: Yes.
1: <laughs> What's he drinking? I want some of that. And, um, and, you know, Jesus said, yeah, I've got living water. Would you like some? And he said that to a woman who had had five failed marriages and was kind of in the wrong race in that culture. And uh, Jesus was a grace dispenser. He didn't make you sign a doctrinal statement before, he, you know, you could you could belong to his group. Yeah. In fact, look at the people he chose. One was a tax collector at the bottom of the social ladder. One was a zealot, kind of a terrorist, espousing violence in his day. And then one, of course, turned out to be a traitor. So uh, Jesus took risks with grace, there's no doubt about it.
0: You you shouted out my girl, the woman at the well. She, mm. that's, that's a story that changed my life. So I have mm. to give her a shout out. L- love her. The, the living yeah. water. The, and I, I went, <laughs> referenced my first prayer. God, I can't do it on my own. And I had just heard the woman at the well story. And <laughs> I share the story anytime I get a chance. But anyways, I said, if living water exists, I want a keg of it.
1: <laughs> I want a keg. And what I love about that story, Katie, is she is actually the the only person or at least the first person in the gospels to whom Jesus voluntarily revealed himself I am the mm-hmm. Messiah you know you kind of when other people would say it he said well don't tell anybody you know yeah. <laughs> let's keep that secret but here is this woman that in a sense his first missionary who would Jesus choose as his first missionary he chose a person of the wrong race with a very unsavory reputation and he had good choice because because John tells us she went back to her village and converted the whole town. <laughs> you know, uh, yes. Re- and I think you know this woman wouldn't be allowed into any Christian college I know. Wouldn't be allowed mm-hmm. to serve on a church staff. But Jesus knew better. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't get beyond the power of redemption.
0: You're giving me all the feels. I had a good pastor friend advise me one time. Um, I'm a I speak to colleges, and and when I go to different colleges, my message isn't necessarily a Christian message. I'm just talking about you know, sorority women and how they can make a change for good anyways. And I was like, Oh, I really want to be a Christian speaker. And he told me they're not offering me the chance to go speak to 400 sorority girls. Like you, and it's so crazy. Like, you know, I never would have picked me to do that, but you're right. Like God always, if you, I mean, he consistently picks the most unlikely. Yeah. It's just, it blows my mind and I can't talk about it enough. It's the coolest thing.
1: (laughs) Right. King David, you know, they go through this whole list of these big strapping sons of Jesse and well don't you have anybody else yeah there's this one runt out there taking care of the sheep I want to I want to see you you know (laughs) it's all the way through
0: I know I I hope if you're listening and you didn't know about that read your Bible because it's just (laughs) it's the coolest thing okay your last impromptu question Um, what are some important things you may have changed your mind on concerning faith over the years deep one
1: Changed my mind. I know. Yeah, I I guess I would say I was I was alive in the early days when Christians started getting enamored with politics. You know, the moral majority came along. There were people like Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson, and and they were bringing up important issues. Uh, you know, abortion, homosexuality. These are important issues. And then after a while, evangelicals as a as a movement became identified with those two issues more than any other two. And um, it it is tempting, especially when you want to, you want your values. Well, let's, let's get in uh, some people who share those values in Congress and they can vote laws and enforce them that way. But then I, I stepped back one day and I thought, isn't that strange? Jesus didn't say a word about abortion. Or a word about homosexuality. I think if you had asked him a question, he would have given you an answer. But he didn't go around saying, "This is who we are." Right. <laughs> you know. In fact, he didn't even mention either one. And I thought, well, that's strange to be identified by something that Jesus didn't even mention, and we're Jesus followers. And 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 again, those are important issues. I'm sure Jesus did have a strong opinion, but but not to trumpet around. Because what I, often happens if you're known by that then you start playing the rules of politics and and it's a it's an adversary sport so you start screaming at the people who disagree with you and you know we've seen this happen over the last 20 30 years and it yeah. just keeps getting worse in a way and and that's that's one reason uh, one one thing i suppose that i've changed about cuz it did seem tempting and i grew up in a place where christians were a minority and uh, it it's kind of It's kind of fun to see your name in the papers or whatever. And Christians were feeling good about that. They're finally getting some recognition. I mean, these guys, Falwell and Robertson, are on TV every day. So they're household names. And a magazine said, this is the year of the evangelical. It was on the cover of Newsweek magazine. And boy, that's tempting. But right now we're seeing kind of the dark side of that Mm. temptation, where we've split so much um, that we no longer see the other side as human beings needing grace and ourselves as human beings needing grace, but we start judging them by the rightness or wrongness of your position.
0: Yes. I yeah, think you're hundred percent right. And, it all, you know, usually the, the issues are in these polar opposites, right? When the pendulum is so far on one way yeah. and, and often in this messy middle, as I like to call it, is, <laughs> yeah. is where Jesus says, Hey, Hey, you prostitute. Let's have a conversation. Hey, you woman at the well from the wrong side of the tracks. I'm the Messiah. Nobody knows it yet. You know, he's just absolutely. Was a pretty cool dude. Um, let me just go back on script a little bit. Um, I am curious with this beautiful book that you have kind of re looked at and stuff like that. How are you hoping that the revised edition will continue to impact readers as a society and? Just giving it fresh breath. By the way, I looked at some of your reviews. I, I just people, this is really a life-changing book. I mean, I don't mm. want to be dramatic, but it really is. And I'm just so thankful that it's getting fresh life. But anyways, mm. sorry, back to my question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. I I don't want there to be a barrier. That's why I wanted to update. I wanted people as they read to think, yeah, this is about my world. This is about my life. And if you're reading something that refers to stuff that took place 30 years ago, and you can't even remember it, then the, it creates a little barrier, creates some distance. I, I'm trying to make it as personal as possible there. We added reflection questions, especially to be studied together in a small group. And there's there's actually a video curriculum on the book. I like that because Grace Grace involves things like families. I know about this. You know, I've I've got a family of three people, or I did. My mother died this year. So it was the mother and Tucson. She was a widow. My mother and brother hadn't spoken in fifty years mm-hmm. before she died. And we did I did get them together on a telephone conversation a few times, right before she died. But that's fifty years when they never heard each other's voice. Why? And and when you ask that in a group, it's amazing the stories that will come out. People will will just unburden themselves. And mm-hmm. it's a good thing to do when you've got a community of supporters around you. So I want I want that to happen too. So we built the reflection guide directly into the book so that you don't have to go out and buy some separate study guide or something. It's right there. And uh, there are other things online that you can get to to fill it in. But uh, I want it to be about the real world, the real world that we face every day, not this... People walking around in bathrobes and sandals back in Jesus' day, you know. Yeah. But let's take those people, let's take that teaching and apply it to our lives. And, and we are all grace-starved, I'm convinced of yeah. that. Yeah. And it doesn't take a lot to pluck that, that cord of response so that a person says, yeah, that's what I need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm failing there. Uh, that's what I hope continues over the next few generations.
0: I think that it will. And as I mentioned, the reviews, just how, you know, it's really just been so impactful for so many people. I know that you've heard stories more than just mine of, you know, reading reading this as a baby Christian. Are there any testimonies that stand out to you of people who have gotten their hands on the book and just had some really, really cool life changes or testimonies or things like that? I'd love to hear about it.
1: Yeah. Just the other day, I ran into uh, a story I was going to. To a city to speak. And in my book, I talked about a woman who was a mother and her three-year-old child was having brain surgery as she was writing the letter. She was sitting in the lobby of a hospital and she just poured herself out. It was twenty-six pages, Katie, twenty-six page letter that she wrote. The surgery was like seven hour surgery. She had a lot of time. And I just got a an email from the daughter. She's now an adult, and she had just graduated from seminary. And she said, remember when you wrote about me? I was that little girl whose mother wrote a 26-page letter. Let me tell you what's happened since. Uh-huh. And she's been, she's been up and down health-wise. But then she had uh, what she believes is is a kind of healing. And she's just writing in, in gratitude. There's that word again, gratitude. You know, What do you do when something really good happens? That's what grace is. And I try to bring out those experiences that I, I have when I climb the mountains of Colorado or, or just these, these touches of beauty that strike us or touches of unexpected forgiveness or love and, and encourage people not just to be receivers of them, but dispensers of them. That's what mm-hmm. we should be known as. We're, we're the grace dispensers in the world. It's a tough world out there, and, and we know how Jesus acted. So let's act more like Jesus.
0: Grace dispensers. I'm writing that down as well. (laughs) I'm picturing myself as a little Pez dispenser. Grace? Grace? (laughs) Right, right, right. No, I think of
1: it as on tap. That keg you were talking about. Living water on tap. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I am here for it.
1: <laughs> okay. Cool.
0: I love it. Well, what what a pleasure. I mean, I think that we covered all the good stuff. Obviously, I think that it's amazing that you also have questions in the back of this book. This is great for mm-hmm. people to do a small group Bible study. I know a lot of sororities get together and do Bible studies, whatever the case may be, even if you're sitting by yourself and reading this, I, I highly recommend it. And what if, a- <laughs> If, if one more person can become a grace dispenser from listening to this, <laughs> then we'll live in a much better world. So yeah, thank you for sharing all of this amazingness and doing your due diligence to, to give the book new life. I'm so thankful.
1: All right. Well, delighted to be with you and get to know you a bit, Katie. I read your story online and uh, you have experienced grace and now you are dispensing it to others.
0: Amen, brother. Thank you so much.
1: Okay.